You're listening to the Improve Photography Podcast. Support for today's show comes from Squarespace, the company that makes my photography portfolio. With beautiful templates created by world-class designers, your project on Squarespace will look perfect right from the very, very beginning in just a few clicks. Whether you want to create a photography portfolio, a business page, or a blog to share your ideas, Squarespace is a great place to make your passion project a reality. And you have 24-7 customer support behind you if you need any help. Think it, dream it, make it with Squarespace. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code IMPROVE to get 10% off your your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey everybody and welcome back to the Improved Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Harmer, and today I am joined by the one and only, you've probably heard him on the Candid Frame Podcast, Ibarion X. How are you? I'm good, good. Thank you for inviting me on your show. Well, I'm excited to talk with you. I, I, I had reached out to you a little while ago and I was on the Candid Frame Podcast, your show, which is a great show. Definitely recommend everybody give that one a listen. And uh, I definitely wanted to have you on Improved Photography as well. So um, so to people who haven't met you yet, tell us about you and what you do in photography. Wow. Uh, God, where do I start? Um, well, I've been in the photo industry for probably 30 years. Um, currently, I'm the host and producer of the Candid Frame Photography Podcast, which I've been doing for 11 years. And it's an interview show in which I feature conversations with photographers uh, of all genres, uh, all experience levels, uh, but, I've, but I've interviewed like some great, great photographers like Joel Meyerowitz, Dan Winters, Mary Ellen Mark, um, Pete Turner, Douglas Kirkland over the years. And uh, as well as producing the show, I've also written about five, five or six books on photography. Uh, the first one that I did is uh, Chasing the Light, Improving Your Photography with Available Light. And uh, I've written for probably every... Um, major photo magazine that, that's out there over there over the last uh, 15 years and uh, when I started off I, I was working at Nikon for about eight years as one of their technical support reps and then after that I for eight years worked as associate editor for outdoor photographer magazine and then about 12 years ago I was freelance so since then I've just been working as a freelance photographer writer you know podcast producer and anything else I can get into trouble with Oh, that's awesome. So you've seen the industry change so much uh, in that time. What, what are you most excited about today in photography and, and where you see things going now? What is, excites me today is just the accessibility of being able to find not only information about photography, um, but also just discovering great work from people that wouldn't end up uh, in, in a traditional photo magazine. Uh, one of the things that I always... You know, lamented even when I was working at the magazine is that it always seemed to be like the the same few people that would get profiled over and over and over again. And the internet with, with YouTube, with Instagram, with Facebook provides opportunities for me to discover photographers um, who I would never hear about uh, otherwise. So I've discovered some great photographers in Asia and South America and the Caribbean and who are producing amazing, amazing work that really inspires me. And uh, I think that's one of the great things about photography in this age is that um, 
you can discover um, amazing work that otherwise would have just you know fallen beneath the radar just just a couple of decades ago. That's a really good point. I'm always impressed as I go out and shoot in different places. Uh, you know, waiting for sunset in a famous location or something, and you'll you know kind of start talking with the other photographers around, and it's just incredible how many photographers who I've never heard of are producing just I mean world class amazing work, uh, and you'll never hear hear about them. It's not uh, photography is so big now that just being a good photographer isn't enough to quote unquote get discovered. Yeah, yeah, and there's and there's a lot of reasons for that. But you know, I think in the in the insular world that we're in, where you know we're speaking to photographers, there are certain photographers that sort of whose names get repeated over and over again, and that's more due to the fact that these photographers are doing photo education or they're doing marketing for you know for, for products like Nikon or Canon or Sony, and so those names within those circles sort of repeat themselves. And then there's another group of photographers who aren't in those circles, but who make a name for themselves uh, in the sort of commercial and editorial world. And um, depending on, you know, where you sort of, you know, stick your head in, you'll be exposed to different kinds of photographers. But I think to, to a large extent, they're photographers who don't fit into either camp, but who either have been shooting for a rel relatively short time or maybe even decades, who are doing exceptional, exceptional work, but just because they don't fit into those particular niches, um, get undiscovered by the great majority of us. Mm -hmm. And so by people being on Instagram and just recommending, oh, you should check out this photographer, I get to see people who are doing amazing documentary work, fashion work, street photography. Um, you know, I discover people who are doing great work in genres that I don't have a personal investment in, but who I appreciate just because they bring so much passion and talent to what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. So, so what genres of photography most interest you, and what genre of photography least interests you? Well, for me, I, I think I sort of gravitate to what's now called street photography. I mean, that's pretty much what I practice. Mm -hmm. um, I'm kind of wanting to pull away from that kind of definition because I think there's, at least over the last decade, street photography has gotten to the point where it's sort of misunderstood in terms of what it is and what it isn't. Um, it used to be known as candid photography, which I think is an all more appropriate term for, for the kind of photography that I do. Um, but uh, that and, and sort of travel photography, they sort of bleed into each other is pretty much what, what I do. I do a, a good amount of portraiture, but it's often done uh, on the street. I'm not working in a studio. So a lot of the, the portrait photography I gravitate to are, are the people that I encounter on the street. Uh, you know, so for me, that's always fascinating. I see a really interesting subject, and I just go, I want to photograph them. And, and within a limited period of time, I try to find good light, good background in order to make an interesting image. Um, in terms of the photography that least interests me, um, I, in terms of me practicing it, I think the, the one kind of photography that I probably you know, wouldn't be pretty much interested in is, um, you know, products product photography mm -hmm. yeah i mean i've tried my hand at that and that's pretty exacting work it is yeah and it's it's a challenge because you know because not only do you have to be aware about lighting and using strobe uh commonly but you have to 
make so many considerations like reflections if you're taking pictures of you know uh, glass or glassware or something like that and it's like whoa man that's <laughs> that has more patience than it has a different kind of patience i'll say that uh -huh. than, than the kind i would like to practice so huh. Yeah, that's that's it's definitely true. I just spent a day uh, recording a course for ImprovedPhotographyPlus.com with Sandy Durow, where she uh, taught beverage photography, and that was actually really fun because uh, of all the styling of the product and stuff. But mm -hmm. I I'm with you on on just the feeling of of general product photography. It's very meticulous work. I, I mean, there's definitely an artistry to it, but it's just so meticulous uh, that yeah. uh, it really feels different when you're doing it. All right, well, we got a bunch of questions uh, that came in for you from uh, from the listeners of the Improved Photography Podcast. Um, first one I want to go to is from Brent Huntley. He says, what are your favorite light, light conditions for street photography? Ooh, I, I think it's kind of like um, the kind of light that is probably favored by photographers or any photographer who's working outdoors. It's like the early morning late afternoon not necessarily like dusk or dawn but when the sun is fairly um low on the horizon because it creates these very pronounced uh contrast between light and shadow i really favor uh high contrast scenes in, in a lot of my work so for me uh anytime i have that kind of light especially when it's when it's cut by buildings like skyscrapers so you get these wonderful shafts of light that are cutting through a street scene. For me, uh, that is ripe time for me uh, with respect to photography. But a lot of the street portraiture, uh, I kind of like areas of open shade. Uh, I, I like areas particularly where it's transitioning from light to shadow because I find that the area just about three or four feet into the shadow area uh, is a really soft but bright quality of light that without the benefit of using a reflector or a scrim uh, allows me to make some really wonderful uh, portraiture. Given the tall buildings in an urban area, if you were taking street photography there, do you feel like you could shoot throughout the day at any time? Oh, yeah, and I do all the time. I mean, I'll shoot during the middle of the day. I'll shoot in the early morning. Uh, for me, the time of day um, is just... It just it isn't so much that it's good or bad. Uh, it just means that I have to work differently. When I'm shooting during the middle of the day, if I'm shooting at noon, which I often have to do when I'm teaching workshops because I'll, I'll, I'll teach in the morning and then we'll go out and start shooting about 10 or 10.30 until, you know, 2 o'clock. And so we're dealing at, the, at a time that is less than ideal. But if you nevertheless pay attention to light and shadow, you can find spots where... Um, that that's that that's that exists. I mean, I'm not going to try and shoot in sort of an open area where the sun is immediately overhead, just because I know that the light is just going to be, you know, terrible. But I'm going to find areas where there are some nat natural uh, or or human-made structures that are somehow cutting and shaping the light to the point that I can use the light and the shadow as a graphic element in the composition. And then I'm introducing people to the scenes because what I'm often sort of teaching is this idea of trying to find the setting first, not necessarily going out there and trying to find an interesting subject, you know, some character to photograph. Mm -hmm. I'm often hunting for a good scene where I have good light, shadow, shape and line, find my setting 
and then sort of wait for a subject to come into the frame to sort of complete the composition or give me an interesting an interesting gesture. I find that by approaching my photography in that way, uh, I can shoot in virtually any kind of lighting at any time of the day and still successfully pull off an interesting shot. Interesting. It's kind of like the photography equivalent of hunting from a tree stand. You're just kind of got your settings, waiting for something interesting to come by. That's yeah, cool. yeah, and it inevitably does. I mean, if you've gotten your settings so that you're really aware of the light in the background and your foreground, um, you've done most of the heavy lifting. And at that point, it's just a matter of waiting, just like just like hunting. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just sort of waiting it out, waiting for your opportunity. Chenla O says, uh, do you have any tips for people with social anxiety who may have a fear of taking photos of people in the public? Uh, it's, it's, it's a suggestion that uh, takes a little bit of bravery to, to do, but I think that if you do this exercise, you will get over the anxiety. And my suggestion is to approach someone you don't know and just give them a compliment, not with the expectation of making their photograph, just Say you see somebody with an interesting hat, or you like their dog, or you like their shoes, just go up to them and say, I really like this about you. And you'll find that the fear and then that anxiety of approaching people is often revolves around getting rejected, mm-hmm. going up to someone saying, can I make your photo, and them, and them acting negatively and reacting badly to you. So that stops a lot of people from approaching someone. But... If you just go up with the idea of just giving somebody a compliment, I found personally that that alleviated a lot of my anxiety that I shared, you know, with the person who asked the the question. Uh, But I found it by accident. I was just walking down the street one day and I complimented this woman on something and she just beamed and she reacted really positively. And I went, no, that was interesting. And I gave myself the self-assignment to for 30 days to just approach a stranger and just give them a compliment, not to ask to make their photograph, just to do that. And then I discovered that I had less anxiety about approaching someone and, and, and to give them a compliment than I did going up to someone and asking to make their photograph. But that got me through that fear. So when people did react favorably to my compliment, I was able to follow up with, do you mind if I make your photograph? Because at that point, um, I'd already made a connection with them and I could already sort of gauge the likelihood that they would be agreeable to um, being photographed because now they understood what about them I found interesting. And it wasn't like this question of, well, why do you want to take my picture? They already understood why I wanted to make their photograph. And that has just made life so much easier for me when I want to approach someone that I don't know. Uh, about making a photograph. So I think that I can't think of a better exercise to do that will help anyone get past their fear of uh, approaching people. Oh, that's a great, great tip. So kind of as a follow-up to that, Kevin Jordan asks uh, if you get model releases from your subjects after photographing them. No, no. For most of my street work, uh, I'm, I'm not doing, I'm not selling the images for commercial purposes. If anything, I'm using for editorial purposes. So those uh, those. Um, the model release isn't necessary because I'm using it for, you know, uh, the magazine articles that I'm doing, for my posts and my blog, um, for the books that I'm writing. That's they, Those images serve as illustration. Um, I'm not selling any of those images for commercial purposes. If I know that I'm going to be 
uh, intending those images to be used commercially, say if I was going to try and sell them for a stock, then I would get a model release. But, you know, I, I rarely have ever get model releases for any of the work that I do. And so you feel okay about that, about using uh, street photos without a model release in a, in a book or on a uh, monetized website, something like that? Yeah, yeah, I don't have an issue with that. Um, Stephen Smith says he'd be curious if you would touch on your experience about what it's like to host a podcast and, and, publish, and publish books, being in the industry of photography. You know, I just count myself as blessed um, with the fact that I'm able to do what I do. Uh, I talk and know so many people who are at jobs that, you know, are, are they're not, they're less than happy with, let's say it that way. Mm-hmm. And um, having been in the corporate world for as long as I was, I, I, I have some, something to compare this to. So um, the, the fact that I have as much freedom as I do now and the flexibility that I have now is not something that I take for granted so you know writing the books and doing the podcast um is is allows me to be so completely immersed in photography and something that I've, I've loved since i was a kid that um it's just wonderful i mean i get to talk to photographers i get to make photographs i get to travel you know all over the world um you know the the writing the books and doing the podcast is you know, I can't think of a better way to sort of lead the life that I'm living now. Um, I'm getting to do what I love. So I'm really, really grateful for that. Very cool. Well, Stephen Hennel says, uh, the Candid Frame has been on the air for a long time and is a great show. How long do you think you'll be able to keep it going? Um, I think I can keep going for a while. I'm not, I'm not tired of it. Um, I, I have a sort of a general number in my head in terms of I'll have to gauge how I feel once I reach this number in terms uh-huh. of interviews. Um, but right now, uh, I, I I think I can do it for a while. I feel like I've really hit a stride as as far as uh, being an interviewer with the show. So I'm really enjoying the process of sitting down with someone and trying to get um, some really good and interesting answers to my questions to create a conversation that people are really uh, vibing with mm-hmm. that they listen to and they feel like they got a, a lot from it but they feel like like they were eavesdropping into a intimate conversation between two people who are really passionate about photography and what they do um, so for me that's always and has been uh, one of the more interesting aspects of it so as long as I'm having fun um, doing it and I feel like um, I'm really able to do my best I think I can continue with it and uh, until then I, I, I can't imagine uh, stopping anytime soon do you ever feel like you've said what you're going to say about photography how do you mean I, I mean I, and this is sometimes something that I feel after doing improved photography for eight years not, not as long as the candid frame but a long time uh, that sometimes I feel like you know I, I've, I've shared what, what I can share uh, about this topic and, and uh, until I uh, until I personally am level up and, or do something new uh, I, I feel like I, I've said what I can say do you feel that way sometimes no, no, because I think it's there's a multiple ways to answer that question. First off, I think with respect to the audience, there are always new people. Mm-hmm. There are always new people that are sort of discovering photography for for the first time or sort of early on in their journey. 
So they've not heard a lot of the stuff that I may have said before or written about before. And so um, for them, um, what I say or what I share can be very, very, very valuable. Um, but I think one of the things that I spend a lot of time talking about on my YouTube channel or in the articles or when I'm just sitting down with people is just about the ongoing journey of discovery of this progressive journey of learning and developing the way that you see. Uh, that for me is really sort of the essential part of what photography is for me, is the, the act of seeing. It's less to do with capturing the photograph are doing anything in Photoshop or Lightroom. What it is, it's developing and refining your eye for observing the world around you, to be able to discern sort of the subtle nuances of light, of shadow, of shape, of line, of the moment, and being able to get to the point where you're much more adept at capturing those moments and being able to do it effectively. And that's something that is always um, growing, it's always changing, it's always evolving. And when you're in that space, I think that whatever I share about photography is going to be tied into whatever stage of photography that I'm in currently. And I think that as long as I'm growing as a photographer, I'll always have something interesting, if not necessarily new to say about the process, but something that I think um, can benefit whoever is listening to me at the time. I, I can definitely relate to that. I remember when I started Improved Photography, I, you know, I thought, man, you know, I could probably write 20 articles and then I'll probably be tapped out. It's about all I have to say. And then you write those 20 articles and it brings up 20 more questions. And now uh, we have 30 people writing articles on improvedphotography.com and three articles going out every single day and it, we could never catch up to everything. We have a hit list now of, of articles we want to write on the site that just keeps growing and growing. Uh, it's, it's wonderful how art, uh, there, there's just no end to it uh, because you can always learn more, th more things and take different looks at it. Yeah, and, and the reality of you know, a magazine or a website is that you know, certain topics you're just going to revisit over and over again. You're not just going to rely on the article that you did on Depth of Field from seven years ago. Right, right. Because you inevitably will have learned some new thing about that particular topic that you want to, that inspires you to sort of revisit it and post a new magazine article on it. So, you know, as with anything, as you grow, you'll learn maybe not to the degree that you learn. And when you first start photography, there's like this big sweeping learning curve. And then at some point, it kind of levels off, but you're always learning little bits and pieces of things that help make what you do easy. And then it's valuable to be able to share that information. Right. And, and also technology changes. I mean, an article oh. that we wrote on sports photography I found the other day uh, about indoor sports we wrote, oh, whatever, seven years ago. And I said, never to go over ISO 800 or the photo will just be so noisy it'll be unusable. Yeah. And now you wouldn't even begin at ISO 800 for an indoor sports shoot. Uh, it's awesome to see how things change that way as well. Well, we have uh, a couple messages from our sponsor that I want to share with you, and then we will come back to some more listener questions. Today's episode is brought to you by Squarespace. If you're ready to take your photography to the next level, if you want to create a photography portfolio, or maybe you want to create a blog to share your ideas, or you have a different business and you want to create a professional-looking webpage for it, 
there really is no need for it to be the project that you put off forever because you're not quite sure how to do it. You can get started on Squarespace in just a few minutes and it's really inexpensive to get started. You can showcase your work on the templates that they've specifically made for photography or other templates that are more of a business look uh, to your website. They'll walk you through the process to easily get your website started in a really short amount of time. Squarespace has analytics so you can see how many people are coming to your website, 24-7 customer support, and their designs really look beautiful from the beginning. That's the thing that really that made me decide to choose Squarespace for my portfolios. They look really good. Um, head over to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use offer code IMPROVE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com, offer code IMPROVE. All right, we have lots more questions for you that have come in from the Improved Photography listeners. Um, I, I want to go to a little bit more of your, your story and how you got to where you are today. And Bob Fischel asks, uh, how did you sell your first photo and how do you now decide what prints to sell or use? First photo I sold was when I was going to the University of California at Berkeley. And there was a demonstration or, or sort of like a mini riot that happened at one of the um, buildings that had been a co-op. Uh, one of, one of, there was a co-op system where basically it's, it's housing for students, but instead of an apartment, it's, it's a place where you pay a certain amount of money uh, for housing and then you sort of offset the, uh, the rent by doing work, um, working in the kitchen, as a cook, cleaning, so on and so forth. And there was a, a one of the halls that had gotten closed because it had just gotten to the point where uh, it was uninhabitable. There were a lot of parties uh, being held at that place. There were people there who weren't supposed to be living there that were living there. Uh, it had just really gotten out of control, and so they had shut it down. And they were having some demonstrations um, there um, to um, protest the closure. And there were hundreds of people out there, and I shot some images there. And I took, uh, I thought I had some good photographs, so I processed the film, and then I went to, uh, I think it was the San Francisco Examiner uh, at the time. It was either the Examiner or the Chronicle, I forget which, which of the two it was. And I met with a photo editor there, and he, we went through the negatives, and he picked um, one of the photographs, and it ended up in the newspaper. And that was like my first, you know, my, the first time I ever sold a photograph, uh, and something that I sold to a newspaper. So for me, that was just like, uh, it was really exciting. I had worked at uh, a college newspaper at Los Angeles City College. So um, I'd had my images published in, in a newspaper before, but this was the first time that I you know, took a picture and actually sold it to a publication that had a much broader reach than anything I had shot at college. And then from there, um, you know, most of the work that I've done has been a variety of editorial work and some commercial work um, that I've done uh, for for clients and you know most of my learning curve uh, has been a result of making a lot of mistakes because unfortunately I was not it wasn't too business savvy when I first started but now um, I'm pretty exacting in terms of my contracts and uh, you know establishing a real clear understanding in terms of what I'm responsible for what the clients responsible for um, so you know it's, it's a, it's a big a big difference between where I am now and when I, uh, I was then but um, you know uh, for me it's it's 
Uh, I, I enjoy working for others, especially when I'm able to do the kind of photography that I'm really sort of passionate about because I like taking my particular style of photography and applying it to serving uh, a client. And that for me is ideal. I, I, I'm not going to take on a job now where I would do like product stuff. You know, I just, my heart's not in it. I would only do it for a paycheck. And I've made the mistake in the past of doing work like that simply because I wanted to check. And I always sort of left the scene sort of unhappy with the work that I had done. Not that I did a bad job, but just, it just, my heart wasn't in it. So now when I, when I'm looking to find opportunities where I can do work for a client, it's really about, this is what I do. This is where I'm at my best. And can we somehow find a way of applying that to what you need and what you do? Cool. Get me Andrews. I don't know if that really answers the question, but yeah, no, no, no. I, I think it does. I, I, I think it definitely does. So uh, the next couple of questions kind of deal with a little bit more of your technique or process. Brian Pex is asking if you flash people on the street, which I think will uh, read into meaning um, if you use a flash in your street photography. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, on both counts. Um, <laughs> Uh, and no, so, no. So, so tell me this. Is it because you don't want to uh, interfere with the candidness of the shot? Or is it that you feel that, that the flash interferes with the lights that's there? Or does it just not fit into your technique? Like, why, why is there a categorical reason that you don't use flash or, or why not use it sometimes? I guess I just want to really understand the reasoning for that. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think part of it, it was born of the fact that when I started photography, um, flash was in a practical tool for candid photography. Um, you just needed a fast enough shutter speed to freeze the action. So you were often using a relatively fast film, like maybe 400, uh, 400 feet, like triax. Uh, it was like the black and white film that I used oftentimes, and I would use Kodachrome 200 rated at 320. Um, and then th when I started transitioning to digital, I just kind of applied that same that same approach to, to digital. But now I had the flexibility of being able to adjust the ISO on the fly. So as the ISO performance of the cameras got better, uh, I really didn't need to use flash in order to get the moments that I, that I wanted to get. Um, I have entertained the idea and have used flash on occasion just because it gives me a slightly different look. Um, and one of the things about using flash in on the street, um, especially uh, in, in, in the daytime, is that the flash oftentimes isn't perceptible to the people that you're, you're photographing. Um, because it's it's just serving as a sort of a kicker or a fill, uh, it's not immediately evident that the flash is being fired. But I think what he's speaking about is a, a, a certain approach uh, that is made famous by a photographer named Bruce Gilden, who tends to use flash, and he gets very, very close to his subjects, usually less than three feet. So uh, I, I think it's not so much that the flash is being used as the fact that the that Bruce... And some other photographers get what some people describe as uncomfortably close to their subjects in order to make the shot. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't have any issues with 
with the way that Bruce shoots. And there's another photographer who does a similar type of approach, uh, Michelle Groskoff, here in Los Angeles. And I love both of their works. I think they reveal something about the people that they photograph uh, and the world that we exist in in a really unique and beautiful way. Um, both of them uh, love their subjects. Some people don't like it because they think that the resulting images are very unflattering, uh, which, you know, it could be uh, uh, one way of describing the work that they do. But if you sat down and you talked with either of them, uh, they would talk about not the fact that they're trying to make their subjects look ugly, but that they have a personal affinity and love for the people because it reminds them of people in their own lives. Uh, and, and I think Michelle and Bruce have spoken uh, to, on this, you know, many, many times. And so I have an appreciation for, for the work uh, that I like. So it's less about the fact that it's flash is being used. Uh, it's why um, the flash or any, you know, or, or approaching people in, in such close proximity is being done. If it's merely done to get some sort of visual effect, then I think it's more of an issue. But when you're trying to say something about the people that you're photographing and, and you know, and consequently about yourself in the images, I think there's less of an issue about the reason, the, the how, and, and it's more interesting to have a conversation about, about the why. But, you know, sometimes that, that gets lost because there was a time where um, when Bruce... Uh, Bruce had been video, uh, videoed, uh, had been photographed using his technique, and then all of a sudden there were just all these street photographers that were practicing the same technique, grabbing flash, getting in people's faces, and I'm so glad that that, that, that phase passed, came and went, because all you saw were just a lot of badly copied Bruce Gildens out there that weren't weren't creating the pictures because of a personal... Uh, for a personal reason, they were mostly pursuing an aesthetic, and the, re the results, I think, were fairly lackluster. Interesting. So, Catherine Johnson asks, uh, what, what kind of gear you typically take with you when you're doing street photography? Uh, all I have is a Fujifilm X100S. Good choice. Uh, that's it. You know, it's two generations old at this point. Um, but it's the, the, the one camera that I, I have on me all the time. When I travel now, when we go on vacation, that's the only camera I bring with me. And I bring about 10, 10 or 12 um, memory cards, three batteries, uh, my laptop, and that's it. And I don't feel I'm lacking at all for not having an SLR with multiple lenses. I used to have that stuff and used to take that stuff on travel, but... Man, I just got so tired of lugging that gear in a backpack and always having to be concerned about where it is and so on and so forth. And now I have a camera that I can stuff in my pocket and I'm able to do the great majority of the photographs that I, I lean to in favor with just that one camera and, and that one lens. I, I've considered a similar approach as I do landscape photography. I, I mean, I'm taking... I don't know, 90% of the photos that I take with the same 16 to 35 millimeter lens. Um, and, you know, if I just had a camera, batteries, tripod, uh, and that lens, I mean, I mean, I could do 90% of what I do, but still 
that means I'm missing 10%. And I feel like I would be missing that 10% because I was lazy and didn't bring, bring the full kit with me. So yeah. how, how do you, how do you deal with that feeling? Feeling like, ah, I missed this because I didn't have the gear prepared for it. Yeah, you know, I, I I used to be concerned with that, and I think I go through that every time I'm about to go on a trip, and I consider bringing my SLR. But every time I go out there without it, I go, I'm uh, I see the images that I'm capable of capturing with the equipment that I have. I'm less focused on the images that I'm missing out on because I don't have a 7200 or a 16 millimeter. Uh, I may see something that I, I, I would have made a great portrait with an 85 millimeter lens. But that's such a small percentage of the images that I miss that I just kind of put that out of my mind. I go, well, at least I saw it. I, I recognize the potential for that moment. That, for me, becomes more important. Um, you know, at some point, I may consider taking, getting, investing in a small mirrorless camera and having like a, a the equivalent of a 35, a 50, and an 85. But not, right now, I, I don't need it. And... Or, or want it, or they want to spend the money on that. There are other things I can spend my money on. But mm -hmm. I think I think that once you've made the choice to limit whatever you're shooting with, then you just start seeing just those things that you can that you can create with that limited piece of gear. And the reality is that ten percent of of all those images that you, that you missed, how many would it really have been great shots? And it would have been worth the burden of carrying, say, a 70 to 200 for two weeks for one shot that may or may not have been really good. And for me, you know, the, the, the price of having to lug that, that stuff, you know, is not justification enough for a shot that, you know, may have not been exceptional. Okay. So... Looking forward, what do you hope to learn in photography over the next couple of years? For me, I think that the, the challenge is trying to take the way I see to a, a whole other level. Um, I'm constantly challenging my my ability to see when I go out and photograph. So one of the things that I've been working on is building layered compositions by which I mean that I'm not just simply looking at my subject, but I'm considering the foreground and the background. And that's been something I've been working towards for a while now. And I feel like right now I'm sort of getting into the groove where I can sort of see a scene in those terms and slowly build, uh, build the shot so that I can have all that stuff converge. So I think for me, it's taking that, that layered sensibility and combining it with an awareness of light and shadow and line and shape and sort of taking all these things that are kind of, um, they're elements, but I'm not using them cons consistently together in the moment because right now I'm so focused on the layered composition that I am sometimes paying less attention to the quality of the light and the shadow or the color or the shapes of the lines. Uh, Right now, my work is is very intuitive, so I can see a scene, I can react to it, I can make the shot within, and you know, in a fraction of a second, and have no problem. When I'm actively trying to discern a layered composition, I'm much more conscious of my process, and I'm thinking much more than I typically am. So what I want to do is get to the point where 
even the layered composition is as intuitive as everything else that I do, where it just is this sort of seamless flow of me seeing, reacting, making the photograph. Well, in every episode, we like to share a doodad of the week, a product or resource that uh, that we like and have uh, incorporated into our shooting. And so, what's what's one doodad or one product that you that helps you in photography? Compression socks. Compression socks. <laughs> Compression socks, man. I'm 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 a friend of mine, Renzi Ruiz, is a street photographer, and. Uh, I was complaining about how my feet ache after a good day of shooting, being on my feet and walking around. And he said, you should try compression socks. And I, I bought them and I'm, I'm completely sold. So these so, are like, are they like knee high, skin tight neoprene? That's what yeah, I imagine a compression yeah, sock. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So they sort of help your circulation, especially if, a lot of people who are like waitresses and stuff like that or people who are on their feet for a long period of time will use compression socks in order to maintain circulation on, on the legs and to help reduce fatigue of the feet and, and the legs um so i w- have been wearing them uh and a good pair of walking shoes uh to help sort of minimize you know how, how badly my legs could feel at the end of the day um if i'm you know if i'm especially when i'm traveling i'm i'm like we go to europe a good amount of time and we're walking around for hours and um sometimes i would just come back and my feet and my legs would just be achy i didn't even want to try to get out of bed the next day and so that and a good pair of shoes makes a huge difference for me uh, especially when you know i'm dedicating you know two or two or more hours to being on my feet photographing so um anyone who's uh, the kind of photographer who's often on their feet should seriously consider investing in a good pair of those they're available everywhere a bunch of different manufacturers you know, make them and they're available on Amazon or a sports store. But uh, yeah, I'm a big proponent of keeping your feet comfortable. Because if your feet are mi- feeling miserable, the last thing you're interested in is making a photograph. Huh. Well, I've tried next time I'm, I'm uh, spending a long day in an airport. Uh, my recommendation for this week is something that I have not yet purchased. So I can't recommend this specific brand, but more the category that I'm interested in. And that's a camera cage. If you're a videographer, you already know what this is. Um, it's basically um, it's basically a metal, metal rectangle that fits all the way around all four sides of your camera. It kind of looks like an L bracket, but it doesn't just make an L. It goes around the entire camera. And it has a whole bunch of, of uh, quarter 20 threads all the way around it. So you, uh, if you need to attach more than one uh, accessory, you know, let's say you have a flash or a light on there and you also have, uh, you know, a, a video mic or something or, a, you know, a hard drive if you're shooting straight to a hard drive for video or whatever accessories you're going to have on your camera, uh, it just allows you to attach everything around the camera. And you could even put, you know, quick release plate uh, quick release plate on the side as well so it basically turns into an, an L bracket as well um, so I'm doing a lot more with video and uh, this looks like a very helpful product to have when you're attaching a bunch of accessories so uh, the the brand that a lot of people are using is small rig uh, that's the small rig camera cage uh, but there but there are a lot of good brands for them well, Ibarrio Next, thank you for taking the time to be on the podcast. Really appreciate you being here, and we hope to catch up with you again in the future. Thank you, Jim. Really a pleasure to speak with you.